0: Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Steven Clear.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands, and providers of online and in person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early stage startup or still in ideation, then the launch pan is the course designed for you. All the basics and more, saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching your growing food, beverage, or small goods business. More details at KitchenToShelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and I want to welcome to the show today, Alex Corsini. Alex is the founder and CEO of Alex's Awesome Sourdough. After discovering sourdough's unique health benefits, which made him feel great while eating it, by the way, he set out to build a brand celebrating all things sourdough fermentation, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in depth. 2017, they launched the Sourdough Artisanal Organic Pizza Line to bring thoughtfully sourced organic food back to the family table. Alex hails from my old stomping ground in San Francisco, so we know sourdough. Welcome to the show, Alex. (laughs)
0: Thanks for having me, Steve. I appreciate it. I like the intro.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, sourdough, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. think they know about sourdough and 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 all of that that stuff, but in in fact, there's there's kind of a um you know a sorcerer's kind of thing in in sourdough because there's mm-hmm. the whole thing about starters and how it works and whatever. And we want to we're we're gonna nail the story of the brand and stuff. But for the the folks out in the audience who just don't understand what this fascination is with sourdough, can you talk a little bit about what it is and the process? Yeah, I'm more than
0: happy to. Um, yeah, as kind of you alluded to, sourdough is a magical process. It's, it's a wild fermentation process, which really juxtaposes the industrial processes of, of other baked goods and, and the ways that uh, other frozen pizza manufacturers would, would, make, their, would make their crust uh, essentially using one strain of, of an industrial yeast uh, that you can just find in, in a grocery store, you know, just a powdered form of yeast. Um, whereas sourdough, uh, you know, it gives rise or leavens bread, uh, using a culture, which contains a diversity of different wild yeasts. Um, and what's really key is it has gut friendly bacteria or lactic acid bacteria as well. Um, and through the fermentation process, using the yeast and bacteria, you're getting acidification. Um, and basically what you're doing is you're unlocking nutrients. Um, you're lowering the glycemic index or load of the dough. Um, and you're lowering the gluten content. So many people that are eating a bread that has been fermented with a wild culture uh, find the end product more digestible. And I'm sure we'll go into my story. But for me personally, I find it a lot easier to digest.
1: Right. Oh, yes. And we and we are going to go there. Now, I, I, I've known tales of sourdough starters for breads totally. and crusts, literally totally. being part of the divorce proceedings in a lot of Northern <laughs> California. Right? Okay who gets to keep the starter when we're, we're passing forth? Um, is is that sort of an urban myth or is, or, or do you really, is it, is all the stuff actually somehow handed down from mm-hmm. culture, culture to culture?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's various different kinds of, of sourdough cultures. I mean, essentially just to kind of speak to what a sourdough culture is, it's comprised of, of simply flour and water and the yeast and the bacteria that I was speaking to earlier are found in the soil and then they come on the grain and then they become part of, uh, of the culture over time. And you're basically just continually feeding it, you know, usually once a day, a little bit of flour and a little bit of water. And and it's just kind of growing and and living and and bubbling that way. Now our starter is said to be over a hundred years old, uh, which means that it's been continually fed for that long. However, you know, there's a lot of urban legend around it. I think the biggest urban legend is that sourdough can only be made really well in San Francisco, uh, which, is a, <laughs> which is a complete myth. Um, however, there is a unique strain of, of bacteria and yeast found in San Francisco, which gives it a unique flavor. So, so it's um, not just the salt air. It's-, it's not just the fog. It's not the air. Um, there's <laughs> sourdough all over the world. It actually dates back to ancient Egypt, of all things. Um, so wow. it's been around for a long time.
1: Well, it, it certainly has great, you know, great flavor qualities all the way around. Some of us love sourdough bread and I've been fortunate enough to try the, the pizzas and they're just, they're, they're awesome. Sure. Um, and, and there's this, and there's all the other stuff, which the health benefits, everything else, which just is mm-hmm. like icing on the cake, as it were. But speaking of it. that, we mentioned how you got started. Can you talk to us a little bit a, about your background? What, what did you do before you started making sourdough pizza? And oh. then, and then why, how'd you get here? Great. Well, I hope you have some time here because this the story is I'll try to give you a bridge. We version, have but... we have time. Tape.
0: We have lots <laughs> okay. of tape. It's rolling. Beautiful. Oh wait, we don't do that anymore. Never mind. <laughs> um so well, my background, uh, you know, after going to school, I went to USC. I studied finance and uh chose to go into technology sales. Um so I didn't pursue the financial career, but uh followed my friends into technology. Um, yep. and uh you know I absolutely loved it um, until back in 2017, uh, out of nowhere I, d- I developed some autoimmune symptoms and um, essentially I had some gut issues, some skin inflammation. Uh, I was really out of thin air I had no preconditions and consequently I went on uh, a regimen of steroids and antibiotics for for several months and um, you know after a few months of that and, n- and nothing was working, uh, I turned to alternative solutions and I started researching how diet can mitigate autoimmune, uh, issues, um, you know, which are becoming so prevalent these days. So I went on the whole 30 diet and Steve, are you familiar with that diet? Sure. Yep. Cool. But Um, you can
1: explain a little bit because
0: not everybody out there is. Yeah. So essentially, you know, it's a diet of cutting out every major allergen. So, you know, you can think of wheat, dairy, nuts, um, even legumes. There's, there's certain, um, foods that, you know, some people are sensitive to. And and the idea is to cut all of them out. um, and, after about sixty days of being on that diet, all my symptoms went away, which was really transformational. Um, and I wasn't taking any medication at, at the time as well. Um, so afterwards, I started reincorporating foods because um, I like to say I, I didn't want to test it. Yeah, testing which
1: one? Which one was the problem here?
0: Exactly, and you have a control, so you you want to add one back at a time. And so I added back dairy. And I felt great, I think it's because I have a Swedish background, and you know it's ancestrally I, I can digest dairy really well. um then I started adding back nuts and I felt fine i then I started adding back some fruits, and I felt terrible, like strawberries i don't digest well, avocados I actually don't digest well Ooh, um, all right. and then the last thing was wheat, and um you know I started eating a little bits of normal kind of commercially made breads, and I didn't feel great and I was talking to my doctor at the time, my dermatologist, and she said, well, you know, sourdough is anecdotally uh, easier to digest for some people. And I don't know too much about it, but maybe you should try it out. So I went back, I looked up sourdough. I saw that there was actually some clinical research behind it, that there's a lot of anecdotal evidence suggesting it was easier to digest. So I tried it and I felt fantastic and I had no negative reactions. At that time, I said, wow, well, you know, maybe I should just go down the rabbit hole here and start baking myself. And, uh, and that's exactly what I did. So, uh, you know, I was baking for friends and family were coming over and loving it. I was living with some paleo people at the time that, that didn't eat grains and they started eating my bread and feeling good. So I was like, interesting, maybe we're onto something here. And, um, you know, immediately I the the idea came to me where, you know, can we build a platform around sourdough, a, a CPG business that, is all around, you know, the superior flavor, but also nutritional profile, being around, you know, gut-friendly, uh, higher bioavailable nutrition, um, and then with a lens of thoughtful sourcing.
1: So uh, and, yeah. and what took you towards CPG as opposed to, I'm going to open a sourdough pizza parlor?
0: So I think, yeah, that's a really good question. I did initially have the idea of opening a, I like the word parlor, pizza parlor. Um, however... You know, I think I saw this being uh, a potentially you know big business that could help a lot of people. Um, for one, I think there's a lot of dogma in nutrition, and um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of anti-gluten sediment out there. Whereas I, from my own specific um, experience, you know, I was eating anti-gluten products or, or gluten-free products, and and I would get a reaction off of those, and then I ate sourdough and I felt good. So I just thought that there was a way to um, really tell a story and touch a lot of people this way rather than just have a really small regional you know, pizza shop. Um, you know, I thought that this could be a really scalable concept. Um, and then I should also mention that uh, my dad, um, I, I guess there's a fam- family legacy. Um, it, kind of Many different people in my family have been in the CPG space. My father had a CPG company back in the uh, early 90s, oh, a beverage okay. business. Yep. Um, so I grew up going to his demoing programs and (laughs) traveling with him. And, um, yeah, he had distribution in a few thousand locations. So that was really fun and just kind of seeing the innovation behind building a product. Um, and then my stepdad is a a VC in the space and he's, he's our chairman and CFO as, as you know. Um, so I was just bouncing ideas off of him all the time. And, um, and he was the one, Scott was the one that came up with the idea of of pizza. So, we went from the idea of building a sourdough brand to the concept of going to market as a sourdough pizza brand. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and it's interesting as opposed to just starting with bread The the you know, breads that, that we all know. Yep. Um, so it, it also is interesting in the fact that I think it, it helps people to um, who might just the bread go, Oh no, I don't like sourdough bread uh-huh. to go. Oh yeah, but the pizza looks really good. <laughs> and, and by the way, I'm so I'm going to, be able to take a shot at this again and uh, and then get this, uh, you know, tremendous, tremendous flavor profile. So mm-hmm. when you so, OK, so you're talking to to, to Scott and, and and we're talking pizza mm-hmm. flavors. Did you do a lot of trial and error, friends and family say here, try this with pesto, try this with goat cheese and your restrictions, right? Because you, you want to stay organic and whatever else. So yep. how many things can you do within that railroad track?
0: Yeah, totally. Well, so this seems like a non sequitur, but so it's essentially what I did is I decided that I wasn't going back into tech. I decided that I wanted to build a business focused on sourdough. Um, At that time, I felt like I needed some experience uh, in the kitchen, which I didn't have. So I apprenticed at some uh, local bakeries in San Francisco that focused on sourdough. And then I did an apprenticeship in Copenhagen, Denmark, which happens to be kind of a mecca of sourdough. And I worked at a a Michelin star restaurant uh, and just kind of learned R and D processes. And, um, you know, they had a focus on fermentation as well. Um, So when I came back and I should mention that they also have a really famous sourdough crust pizza restaurant there, um, which uh, really solidified the idea that pizza can be a thing for us. Um, So when I came back um, from my apprenticeship after a few months, we uh, basically I, I started, um, yeah, just working with, uh, family and friends. I'd bring them over in groups of five and I would, uh, basically, uh, do blind testing on a few different crusts with the same toppings. And then that helped me arrive at, uh, uh basically like a blind wine tasting, but of pizza crust. <laughs> so, um, we started off with groups of five and then we started, uh, reaching out to, um, people in the uh, Marin area. And, um, like for instance, Scott, people he met at the dog park, he would, uh, (laughs) he would involve them in some small research and development projects. And then, you know, after a while we developed three SKUs after about a three month process and, uh, and then one store in Sausalito, California decided to, uh, to take us on. And it's all history from there.
1: All right. Now you guys, and, and it's, um, you're looking at sort of the delivery and you have refrigerated and kind of refrigerated and frozen is the options correct and then you decided to go with refrigerated yep first right. mistake we made <laughs> okay so talk to us a little bit about all right so you're doing this and uh, assuming that you're doing it legally in a commercial kitchen and stuff uh-huh. um so when you start out doing that so how, uh, did you get a cooler in the back of the car I mean, totally yeah that's
0: where that's we exactly went. Okay. what happened yeah um, so it was, I was a one man show. Uh, essentially I'd be making all the pizzas in uh, in a commercial kitchen, uh, by myself. And, uh, we're talking about one store initially, which is driver's market in Sausalito. It's that's yep. my favorite, favorite market. And, um, what, what I did is I had a Yeti cooler and I threw it in the back of my truck with a, some dry ice and some ice packs, and I would make about 30 to 60 units, uh, per day. And, uh, uh, basically right after they were made, I threw them in the Yeti and, and rushed over to driver's market right before they closed to receiving uh, orders at about 9 p.m. at night. And that was that was the model for the first few months. Um, and that scaled to about 20 locations, just just myself, um, which wasn't- Right,
1: right off the bat.
0: Yeah, it, it um, uh, was pretty chaotic for a time.
1: <laughs> when I had, and a shout out by the way, to Scott Killips, I think I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it right. But anyway, Scott yep. and I had talked a few months ago and he introduced me originally to the the concept in your product. Yep. And he was talking about, you know, I asked him myself, so, okay, so what are we, what kind of turns and stuff are we doing at these stores, Scott? <laughs> yeah. And he started telling me and I'm going, seriously, that's really, really good. He goes, well, you know, I don't know. No, 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 it's gotta go. It's really, really good. I can tell you that. Okay. It's uh-huh. fine. Those are, uh-huh. those are very reputable given price point, given whatever, very reputable, uh, very reputable numbers. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty exciting, but, but at some point in time, of course, as you service a few more stores and you're yep. driving a few more places, that mm-hmm. means you're not in the kitchen cooking. Yep. What happens? Yeah. So, you know, I think you, you're on to, to a really interesting
0: point where, um, you know, getting market validation early on is, is really key. And um, you don't want to let your biases get into the way of like what truly is uh, product market fit. So, you know, what is one natural food store? What is five? independence um you know and then you know what what Scott and I thought was the right model is getting into 50 locations and um over a few month period and then looking at uh certain drivers that can uptick movement you know like demoing right. for instance um but you know with with uh with drivers of, you know right out the gate we were moving 48 units uh per week and then we went into four other stores in local independence and we made, we were doing I think on average 24 units a week per SKU per store, which was you know unheard of. But uh, as we continued to grow, we realized that the refrigerated unit had a lot of issues that was an impediment to scale, or were an impediment to scale, I should say. So you know, for one, um, these pro- the product was uh, shipped in frozen and then slacked out. So you're relying on people at the store level to to do this slacking. So sometimes the product would just sit in the freezer, and we would have, you know, they would think it was, you know, we basically have out of stock issues. It was Out of stock, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, th- that was consistently happening. Um, the other thing is that there's a massive uh, vari- variance in um, in margin in the yep. refrigerated set. So you go to one store, you have a you know 30 percent margin. One would have a 65 percent margin. Um, we had no consistency, consistency or control over the price, um, you know, which obviously still happens in the, in the frozen set, but this was a, just a dramatic range. So, yeah. um, after a while <laughs> we made the tough decision, the, the ultimate pivot and, and just said, look, this is working now, but I don't think we're going to be able to build a big business in the refrigerated set. Um, and, uh, you know, we made the decision along with Presence, who um, I'm sure we'll speak to, has been an amazing partner of ours. Yep, Presence um, Marketing. Yep, to go all in on on the frozen set, and uh, it's it was a great decision <laughs> looking back. So I'm glad we did it. It it it,
1: it is. I think uh, when people talk about starting businesses, whatever, and and they're in refrigerated, I I just I always say, is there, is there some way we can even slacking out? Is yeah, right? Whereas the frozen delivery, if we can at least do that. Uh, as opposed to delivering fresh refrigerated product to refrigerated, you know. ESD, I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, just not, not, not really doable. And, you know, given when you're trying to be clean label and you're trying to, you're organic, you're trying to do all those things. Yep. You, there's stuff you can't put in there that would really help true. make it last a lot longer. That's true. Uh, under those yep. conditions. And, and frozen takes that away pretty much. I mean, exactly. it, it gives you a lot of stuff and a lot more, um, a lot more leniency in toward what's selling this week, um, yep. you know, and and I think also there's a certain perception on behalf of some consumers that they really, because of all the differences in refrigerated temperatures and what do you mean by how cold was this and how long was it cold and yep. whatever else that, you know what, frozen, at least I know it's frozen. Yep. No, so yeah.
0: the freezer is the ultimate preservative.
1: <laughs> I can do that. So, okay. So you can't make frozen pizza in your kitchen. So what, what'd you do? Oh, wow. So, you know, you're speaking
0: to the manufacturing process. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, early on, I mean, every entrepreneur has the question of whether to, you know, manufacture the product themselves and have full control or, you know, go to a co-packer and uh, have a little less control, but have a much more capital efficient model. And, you know, one thing that's really been a core tenant of building the business is capital efficiency. Um, So... You know, I mean, and thankfully, you know, pizza is a massive industry here in the U.S. So there's several co-packers, you know, in California and and really all over the country. So it wasn't hard, you know, getting some of them on the phone. Um, So essentially, we we broke it into two different kind of, um, I guess, uh, two different facets. Like one was our core competency, which is the crust manufacturing, right? Which is, you know, making the sourdough. And then the other is the topping and the packaging. Um, so, and this is a very typical model for pizza manufacturing is to segment the two. Um, so what we wanted to do is, so I guess the problem, the first issue is that nobody has ever scaled sourdough period to the level that we wanted to. And then the other thing was, um, you know, because of that, there's no pizza co-packer that could actually make a sourdough crust for us. And the difference it's, The way that I, the analogy I like to kind of think about is, you know, it's almost like the early kombucha companies trying to convince Coca-Cola to make kombucha for them. Right. You know, it's like, well, they're not fermenting their soda. So, (laughs) you know, right there, it's like a completely different set of equipment needed and processes needed. Um, And it can't be risk averse, right?
1: So, And and, and also health department wise, doesn't fermentation require a higher generally a higher level of standard than,
0: yeah, you know, so there's certain protocols that need to be met um, mostly yep. around temperature. Um, yep. But, you know, one thing to consider is that this product is the, this, the product's par baked. So there's, you know, with ready to eat foods there uh, like for instance, like, a, you know, so that's something you'd get like to go in a deli or, or even a, a drink or a juice has higher standards than, right. uh, than what we do not to mention, but you know, we're SQ- SQF certified level two, and we have the USDA, you know, at the plan as well. So it's, you know, no, no, no easy standards, but, um, but it was really about working with co-packers that saw the vision and, uh, understood, you know, really what, you know, that basically were able to work with us to meet our integrity and, and really meet our meticulous standards around fermentation and uh you know we found one co-packer here locally in california that um would make the crust for us that we worked with them with him over about a three-month period and uh we dialed in the crust how we wanted it and um you know it's 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 something that you know we watch closely we we work with him every week um you know we still have quality control there every production run um really just dialing in the fermentation process and then on the topping side um you know, we're working with a state of the art, uh, one of the largest co-packers, you know, in the country that uh, is just has been an absolute delight to work with um, that does all of our topping and packaging. So
1: we segmented it out. And when you when you were approaching co manufacture the first time around, how many stores were you in distribution at that point? So that's the, the thing.
0: It's like I think this has been a theme in, in previous episodes that, um, you know, it's really hard at first to convince a manufacturer when you're a small business that um, you're worth their time. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think you, you need to have a good, really good story. And, you know, you, you really, um, you know, cause at the the time we were in, we were in 70 locations, okay, you know, which is not significant volume by any means. So um, we need to tell them a compelling story that we were going to grow to um, you know, basically the equivalent of of over a thousand locations in in the first year of working together. And, you know, a lot of that just comes from, uh, you know, basically explaining to them the the business model, explaining them the team, you know, thankfully, you know, I have Scott on the team. Um, so, you know, Scott can speak to his previous experience, um, you know, presence marketing helped a lot. And when you have an incredible sales team out there executing, um, you know, we were getting a really great meetings as well. So just being very transparent with um, the opportunity pipeline, and you know, and just being honest. Some co-packers just won't even consider it, and and then you just need to find one that shares your vision, right?
1: <laughs> right, be, be, because because uh, uh, f- folks, when you do this at home, remember that those co-packers have all heard this story before. That's true. From a whole group of people, <laughs> a lot of whom never, never made it. Yeah, and uh, so it's, it, true. it's tough. But talk to me a little bit about sales team. How did you, when you were up th- at that level, were you uh-huh. doing all the selling yourself at that point, or did you bring somebody on? Did you work with reps? Yeah. So we, so
0: I was doing all the sales myself, and for the first uh, about fifteen locations. Then at a farmer's market, I met our VP of sales, Michelle. Ven uh, who is uh, kind of a local legend here in Marin, and he had a food business himself back in the '80s, uh, a frozen quiche business, and then <laughs> um, and then he started a brokerage called Horizon Specialties, which is uh, based out of Oakland. Right. And uh, you know, Michelle immediately uh, just got the product, and he was looking for a constant uh, consultant role. And we brought him on and uh, man, he was just, he's been an incredible member of the team. So at the onset, he put us in touch with Horizon, um, which he was no longer involved with, but helped found. And they, um, basically what we did is we worked with Horizon, Horizon, coupled with a local distributor called uh, Mike Hudson Distribution. Sure, yeah, yeah. no Mike. And yep, and they were great as well. And they took us, you know, quickly to the, the 70 stores. So, you know, in a few months, we went from 15 to 70 stores. And then, uh, and then after that, we, uh, we ran into presence. So. Yeah.
1: If, and now, in in that sense, Alex, you're, you're, you're you obviously got, you got pretty fertile ground to work with in Brand County, and Northern California in general, especially Definitely. for better for you foods and, and high price points, not necessarily, but, but, you also have some, some other, some areas immediately adjacent otherwise where, um, uh-huh. it's, it's pretty common grocery stuff. So when you guys mm-hmm. were on, did you do kind of the woodlands and Molly stones and then, that, and then what was your like first crossover? Was it like nugget or Raley's or uh, where mm-hmm. did you begin to say, Hey, will the rest of the people eat this? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. Um,
0: you know, I had a. It's funny you say that because I had a a kind of go to market ideal go to market strategy for store expansion in my head, and w- w- all the accounts that I thought would be a shoe in none of them had the space for it. So, um, and it, it's kind of funny how that works. You, you know, early on, you're like, of course Whole Foods will take this. Of course you know, X, Y, and Z will take this. And then you realize just the nature of the industry that, you know, it's, there are a lot of variables at play. Timing is a huge one of them. So, you know, the way that it started is we went into driver's market, then we expanded into uh, our first chain, which is called Andy's Local Market, which was Mm -hmm. three locations. Um, They were great. They um, tasted it at drivers and then wanted it in their stores. Um, So that was an easy sell. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I, I reached out to Nugget Market and I got a meeting and they put us in all their uh, locations which was really right. really um kind of helped champion the brand and, and
1: uh and, and real quick Alex for the for the yeah. audience out there um so if you're not familiar with northern california markets and and how they work we we have a number of independent small small chain upscale some natural organic whatever uh but but a higher proliferation per population mm-hmm. nugget markets has i think but Ten locations now, twelve maybe. Uh sixteen, I believe. Sixteen, right? That'd yeah. Go. And but they have they have them in Sacramento, they have them in the Valley, they have them in Davis, they have oh. them in, in Marin County, mm-hmm. um, and 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 so you get a real cross section of shoppers in this. What I'm trying to say, it's kind of a, for me, it's one of the things that people say. Well, I'm in Nugget. I ask, okay, so how are you doing in Nugget? Because that's <laughs> what I want to know how you're doing in Nugget because totally. you, I know you can. I can know you can do great in Molly Stones. Got it, but. Mm-hmm the proof of the pudding of scaling the product is you've got to be able to get out to people other than just the foodies and stuff who are, you know, hanging around, you know, in Marin County. And so, um, so yeah, very important, (laughs) but that's anyway. So, so nugget has that thing of kind of being a transition that if you're selling well in nugget, you probably can sell well in Safeway. Probably just saying. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's a Um, proof of concept. It
0: is. Yeah. There is a diversity of, of shopping bases there. Um, yeah, we were doing well in in various different demographics, which which was certainly exciting for us. Um, and then after having Nugget as well, it, you know, it it really kind of validated the product, so it was easier to go get other accounts. Um, you know, they're they're even known in in Texas when we were talking to you know Central Market or some right. of these other accounts. Um, you you really do need um, you know some of those champions, but um, to be there, you hundred percent,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. L- let me ask you real quick about, um, so people that want to get more information on Alex's Awesome Sourdough, where do they go? Um, you can just go
0: to our website, com. That's probably the there. best place. Easy. <laughs> it's,
1: it's simple. You get
0: there. Yep, easy enough. And um, yeah, we have a store locator as well if you want to. And then uh, I don't know if I should be disclosing this, but the uh, number on the website is my direct number because I like to talk to all the customers. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we've had somebody else do that before and it wasn't too bad. He got okay. a couple of calls, but yeah. Mainly yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's actually been really, really great for
1: me. So um, I appreciate all the feedback. A lot, lot of fun. So c- talk a little bit to us about presence marketing and, and what you guys did and how they helped you out. Yeah, of course. I
0: mean, they've, they've been a, just a absolutely essential partner to us. Um, so uh, you know, for one, they, they uh, made an investment. So Brian Naylor, uh, on the executive team is on our board as well. Um, Brian's, uh, just a a great mentor and, you know, presence is, um, you know, what I would say is it's just the, the best brand building agency period that, uh, in the natural and even in the conventional set, you know, they, they pioneer brands and, uh, you know, their specialty is sales and they, they do an incredible job. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been an absolute delight working with their sales team. And, you know, they, so basically upon working with them, starting in November, we, you know, immediately got authorized at Sprouts nationally, uh, which was our, a real champion account. Absolutely. And, um, they've been just a really close partner, Scott Reed, uh, the buyer is just, uh, he's really helped us just conceptually thinking about, uh, you know, kind of who we are and where we're going. And, uh, that was huge. And then also they helped us get Kroger right, right out the bat, like within the first basically month. And we got the Pacific Northwest divisions, um, you know, Fred Meyer and, yep. and supers. And, you know, it's, but it's, it's also just the independence that they've, they've gotten for us. And it's just, they have great work ethic, the whole team there. And um, just, a, they've been great to work with. So. Can't say and,
1: how, and, and Alex, how many SKUs now? So we have
0: uh, four SKUs of our traditional line. So. Right now, we have a a cheese pizza, a pesto, uh, which is nut-free. And then we have a a mushroom and a uh, vegan uh, cheese, a vegan margarita pizza as well. Um, And we're in the works of launching two more SKUs uh, we're excited Ah. about. We're going to have an organic pepperoni. Um, So we're going to have the first organic pepperoni pizza, which took a long time to figure out the unit economics on that one. (laughs) Um, Figured it out actually last week. So we're launching that. Some late Q1, and then um, we're going to do a, an
1: artisan three cheese as well. So ah, yeah, okay, so that works out. And uh, talk to me a little bit about now. You know, you set some standards for yourself. Yep. You're also setting standards for suppliers. So in other words, of course, there's got to be some people making the right kind of cheese. Uh, the pepperoni challenge. I'm sure we could do a whole show about. Uh, <laughs> talk to me a little bit yeah. about when you say thoughtfully sourced and stuff. Yep. What what you have to go through? How tough was it? And you know, how do you find these guys? Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think
0: one thing that I learned when doing my apprenticeship out in in Copenhagen, you know, at the, the Michelin Star restaurant was just kind of the whole farm to table movement and working closely with the suppliers. Um and it's it's something that's obviously really prevalent in Marin County as well. Um, you know, I I grew up eating uh, you know, food from farmers that I knew. And um I think there's two reasons why I like it. One is that it's healthy and nutritious. And then two, um, you know, there's kind of this regenerative feedback loop and you see where the food's coming from. There are people that are stewards of the land. And I like supporting, um, you know, farmers that, that, that give back to the land and don't just extract from it. So, right, right. uh, every single ingredient that we have in our pizza is, uh, has been meticulously sourced. So, you know, for instance, you know, our flour is from uh, a family operation, uh, Central Milling. They've been around for about 100 years. Uh, they've, they've always farmed uh, organically. And uh, you know, they mill the flour with a stone mill, which uh, has more nutrients in the flour, more oils in the flour. Yes. Um, yeah. Just the whole profile is completely different. Um, you know, Our, our cheese, you know, we're the only pizza that uses a, a cheese from grass-fed uh, cows. That's uh, 100% on pasture. So you know these are just happy cows that are out on the coast of California, you know, grazing <laughs> every single day. Grazing
1: on some of the most valuable property in the entire world, right? <laughs> you, try, you drive exactly. out to uh, yeah, drive out to Stinson or whatever, and it's like, yeah, wow. In any other place in the world, there'd be condos here. Yep, yep, and we're
0: we're willing to pay more for it because um, I think you know you feel the difference and you taste the difference. So there's a lot more omega fatty acids. There's higher omega three content because they're eating really healthy grass rather than grain. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just the nutrition profile is better. And, um, you know, it's, it's also just, it's, it's better for the land. So it's, we, we, we just think about every single ingredient in you know, our tomatoes as well. Um, you know, it's the tomatoes, which is basically what all the artisan pizzerias use across the country. It's, you you know, it's the staple tomato. So, um, yeah, we're really thrilled to be able to you know, really care and and work with these individuals to offer you know organic food at what we consider an affordable price you know eight ninety nine nine ninety nine
1: every day. Uh, right. so. G- looking forward, Alex, um, and, and not asking to share anything with proprietary or whatever, but but scaling this cannot be easy. And n- nothing with a real high <laughs> high touch, high quality, you know, whatever is is easy. But mm-hmm. are you finding now? from when you started with the idea that more people are open to talking about it or that you get referred to other suppliers or other retailers, you say, hey, you know, Tom over at City Markets, I know it's City Markets, but mm-hmm. you really got to take this to them because they're changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Are you saying more from the uh, ingredient uh,
1: sourcing, Both sides, or... both sides, both from the, it, it's from putting it together from the supplier side to also uh-huh. to the retailer, to the retailer side. Uh-huh. Is it more open now? Or do you find more people receptive to it? To the sourdough? Yep.
0: Yeah. You know, I think, well, so it's interesting. You know, On the ingredient side, w- um, we basically lucked out in the sense that some of the best providers of ingredients that would be on a pizza are local to Northern California. So I already spoke to the flour mill and the, the tomato provider, which is in right. the Sacramento Valley, and the cheese provider. So I literally went to them in person and sat down with them and gave them a pizza and sold them on the vision so that and you know thankfully you know we're not dealing with these hierarchical kind of you know bureaucracy driven companies these are you know family-owned businesses so i'm talking to the owner and he's like you know what we'll make it work like we'll give you a shot kind of deal so um and now you know the thing is we're some we're one of the biggest uh you know buyers for some of these goods. So we have right, a really good yeah we have a really really good relationship with our suppliers and you know thankfully through covid we we didn't have any uh, you know issues related to uh, supply chain because of that so right, right. that's been uh, that's a big advantage of working with i think the uh, the smaller owned family run businesses is they, they care about you too and there's you know a different level of kind of trust there um, on the so on, on the purchasing or on the on the sales side you know, we're, we're kind of in this other inflection point to, to right now where we've, we're doing really well in natural and we have some good conventional data as well. But we're getting to the point where, um, well, we've already passed the point, I should say, that, um, you know, in the beginning, you can sell your story because you don't have data. So you have a beautiful story, you have a great founding story, you have a great product, you, right. have, you know, a great nutrition build, um, you know, go like hell and sell it. And you're going to find buyers that, that fall for your story. Um, then, you know, you're going to be forced to look at spins and there's, you know, these, the meetings start, especially in the conventional channel, they start being more data-driven.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, you know, thankfully we've built up the the data and now it's, um, we kind of let it speak for itself. So, you know, it's, you know, so it's kind of like, you really want to before, in my opinion, and this is where we are today, where, you know, we're, we're pretty agnostic whether we're going into natural or conventional. We we have a strategy and we want, we have certain proxies for success, certain variables for success. Yep. Sometimes that's in a natural account. Sometimes that's in a conventional account. And, um, you know, right now we're just letting the data speak, really. It's working well for us.
1: In in frozen particular and, and in conventional, um, I, I worked for a number of years with the folks from Reese Foods, which is the El Monterey brand. Mexican mm-hmm. frozen food. And at the time, there was still a lot of their original business with burritos that was mm-hmm. sold into the grocery store through the meat department, frozen meat, which has one, two or three doors, depending on how big it is. But then the center store stuff was all right. Pizza and Stouffer's and whatever else. Yeah, And we could, when when some, a couple of stores transitioned and said, you know, you can't be here anymore. You have to go through, you know, reg- regular frozen. Yep. It was at least a twenty to twenty five percent dip in sales because margins were had to be higher on the retailer side in mm-hmm. center store. Every ad, every digital coupon, every whatever you were competing with Tony's, right? because yeah. it was either Tony's or DiGiorno. or what and it's like, wait a minute guys we're we're, we're burritos and taquitos and, <laughs> and not, no, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. that's the space I have, and that's that's how I can use the promotions. It's like, uh-huh. bang, you know when I was in the meat department. I had no problem doing anything i wanted right it's it's very very different but you're now in that realm where as you know at drivers or woodland markets or you know even nuggets so much you're not Mm. competing a whole lot with the journal and tony's now all of a sudden bang you guys are fighting for the same space which they're not making any more of so
0: (laughs) yeah yeah you know i mean there's various ways of course there's slotting fees and there's all these different things that you constantly have to work around, um, yeah. at least, at least we try. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you, we do compete against big players and it can seem a little bit daunting, but you know, the way that I look about at it is, you know, we are bringing incremental value, unique value to a set. And, you know, you can't have 10 different types of cauliflower pizza. You can't have, you know, many right. different DiGiorno's. Uh, and we are unique, you know, we're not what we like to call a me too brand. Um, so, you know, we're the first to market with a sourdough crust. We're the only ones with a sourdough crust. Um, we also really like where we're priced and we like our promotion strategy. Yep. Um, and you know, we, we were at a, we're pretty prescriptive in the way that we launch in a store. So we feel really good. If we if we go into a set, no matter how big it is, if we do X, Y, and Z, we're going to see trial. And right. if we get trial, we feel that we're going to, you know, get repeat customers.
1: So let, Let me, me ask you about that. You know, yeah. how did you deal with trial? So central to everything totally. with COVID. What did you guys do? Yeah, so we
0: were in a pretty good position because uh, prior to COVID, we were going to roll out a program called uh, Moms Meet. Are you familiar with that program no. at all? Nope. So, this is a, a program of, uh, around uh, mom ambassadors that get into groups of, of 20. And sample products, typically in the better for you space, um, and they provide feedback on the product. And okay. you know, so basically, you, you give them uh, coupons. They go into the store and, uh, and and trial the product, and provide feedback, and then on average, recommend it to another ten plus moms. Right. Um, and the great thing about this program is you can actually target groups of moms around specific zip codes uh, in in certain geographies. So, okay, got it. That's, that's the kind of bread and butter, um, to kind of how we've, we've driven trial, um, during this this past year.
1: Um, Yeah. And anybody talking to you about opening up again for, for actual sampling or demoing or not yet?
0: You know, we've we've had accounts try to get us to commit, but you know, realistically, it's yeah. You know, it's looking a little ominous this year.
1: <laughs> we've had amongst the people I work with, we've had requests for you know, obviously single serve, and it's like, okay, so you understand that the single serve thing costs really as much as the full box. Uh-huh. So it's like, you know, yeah. I don't think we can do that. Uh, yep. But couponing, you know, that's one of the ways we've done it is, is to do some try me free or. Other types yep. of things, VIP couponing—you go in and, and give that to some people. that works yep. out. Yeah, IRC coupons are great too. Um, really so- good. So we're gonna we're gonna look forward for sure to the two new flavors and stuff. Any, anything else down be beyond the pizza? You know, because it's sourdough fermentation. It's not just pizza.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you know, one thing that we're really excited about launching—we're just in the process right now—is uh, our new grain-free pizza line. And and one thing that. I kind of alluded to earlier was about building a a platform around sourdough, and you know, sourdough to many is just simply a, a flavor profile or, or or an ingredient, but that's actually not true. Sourdough is a process; it's a fermentation process, right. and that can be applied to not only wheat but really any type of of uh, starch. So it can be rice, it can be, and yeah. in the case that we're launching right now is cassava flour. So. Wow. Okay. We have a a cassava flour starter that we've uh, created through some R and D, and (laughs) we are uh, in the process of of launching our grain-free crust, um, which is a sourdough fermented cassava flour crust with no gums, no fillers. Um, You know, it's it's basically just cassava, extra virgin olive oil, sea salts, and uh, psyllium fiber. That's it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, you go it's, for it. it's killer. So we're really excited about that innovation.
1: That's awesome. And, and, yep. and folks out there, it's, it's, uh, Awesome awesome. Sourdough.com. You can find out more information about it and the store locator pretty much you know, most places you probably get some, you got to sprout somewhere, or, you know, you're in the Northwest with, uh, with Kroger Fred Meyer and, and whatever you'll, uh, and obviously Northern California, you're already taken care of, so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about it, but, uh, I wanted to ask it, Alex, so um, we try to, since our audience is uh, made up of uh, a lot of fellow entrepreneurs and in uh-huh. the food and beverage, as well as health and beauty, um, if you had identified like what the single biggest challenge was you had to overcome during building the business to this point, and, uh, and how did you overcome it? Yeah.
0: I mean, I would say the biggest challenge is, is probably something we spoke to earlier, which is scaling the fermentation process. The manu- yeah. It always comes back to manufacturing for us. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. like that's um, really the most critical facet of any food business. You know, it starts with, with the product and manufacturing. And, um, you know, I think, you know, one thing we didn't speak to is we actually early on in the business um, had a, a pretty bad experience with a, with a co-packer uh, that didn't, um, didn't last very long, thankfully. We, we pivoted and iterated quickly, but... Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it could have been a serious issue. And, um, you know, I think it just goes down to, um, you know, being really honest and, 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 and taking the time and not rushing early on when you're developing the product. Yep. Um, and really thinking through how your product's going to look at scale, right? Because you're producing, you know, maybe, you know, for us, it was started with making 100 units and then it went to 250 and then it went to 500, then 1000. Right. And, and so it was this, you know, really iterative process. And, um, you know, thankfully, we, we took it slow and uh, it was a massive challenge to do that. But if we went too quickly, I, I think it uh, could have been uh, our demise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time and being with us today and and, and telling the story and folks, you have to try some. It's absolutely delicious. And, uh, you know, besides that, it's good for you, which is also good. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. and we'll, we'll hopefully grab you again down the line a little ways and, yeah, uh, and talk to you again about uh, super scaling it, as it were. I would love to do that. Appreciate the time, Steve. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alex. And thanks all the rest of you for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchen2shelf.com. That's kitchen2shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's levelbrands.com. While you're there,
1: be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.